You guys, we're gonna go ahead and get started. So we're trying really hard um, to start in a more timely manner. So we're gonna be starting like five to 10 minutes after our actual start time um, here on out. So just to kind of give you a heads up, um, but I totally forgot to look at announcements this morning. So I'm gonna try and kind of wing it. Uh, but one of them is that on Monday, April the 5th is our next prayer night with the shepherds. And so please um, plan to join us for that. It's an opportunity to pray um, for our church together. And it's also an opportunity to pray for um, our world and different specific needs in our church family. Um, so we would invite you to join us for that on Monday, April the 5th at seven o'clock. That'll be on Zoom for right now. Next Sunday, we will try again to meet outdoors in person. Um, and so the only reason we didn't do that today was the high chance of storms this morning. Um, we do have to consider not only the people in our church, but the equipment we have to use outside. Um, so some of you were like, why did we cancel? And then also we have to consider that the Greater Denton Arts Council opens for us. And so like we can't cancel at the last minute when they have workers that are planning on either coming or not coming. So just so you kind of know some of the things we have to consider when making those calls and those decisions. But next week we'll try again at 945 to meet outside at the Greater Denton Arts Council. Um, and then Josh, will you um, talk about the marriage seminar again, please? Absolutely. So um, next month we'll be kicking off our marriage seminar series and think of it kind of like a free marriage retreat broken out into one seminar a month. We'll be hearing from experienced married couples from around our family of churches. So if you're married and you want to grow with your spouse in practical and spiritual ways, this is definitely for you. And all these seminars will include a Q&A section at the end, as well as some suggested homework to kind of work through together with your spouse. So the first one will be um, on April 10th at 3 p.m. on Zoom. It's going to be about spiritual health and being disciples together. And our hosts are going to be Aaron and Amy Knowles. They're awesome. Some of you guys know them or maybe you've heard of them. And if you don't know them or haven't heard of them, they're cool and definitely um, people to, to learn from their experience of following Jesus for a long time. So, um, yep. If you have any questions about that in the meantime, you can definitely reach out to me or any of the other staff. It does anybody else have an announcement this morning? Yeah. So just a reminder, right after church, we're going to have a interest session for the pastoral cohort and it'll be on zoom. So I'll probably post the link right as church is about to end. Um, but it should be in the email newsletter that Josh sent out earlier this week and that he posted on Facebook. So if you're interested in learning more about the cohort, which is like the training program that our churches put on um, to approximate the focus apprenticeship, but for more uh, grown-up ministry, and you, you haven't heard about the interest session, you can definitely reach out to me or Hannah Ortega or uh, Manny, and we can get you all the info. Okay, anything else? Um, Leslie, did you guys want to announce uh, Spring Showcase again? Yes. Any of our focus uh, staff want to talk about Spring Showcase? Um, I can, yeah. So Spring Showcase is April 3rd at 6.30. We're doing it online. Um, so you'll, you'll get to see the performances online. And we're just asking that you would go to anyfocus.org slash showcase and um, make a donation of whatever you can and you'll get the link um, to, to see the performances that night. Um, so that's kind of the plan. Um, yeah, and this is to support our student leaders up and coming. So um, we're not sure exactly what we're doing this summer for Sikkim. Um, but it will go towards supporting those student leaders' development. Thank you. And, and for those of you that have never heard of Sikkim, um, Reagan, do you want to share just a minute or 30 seconds about that? Yeah, I mean, Sikkim is usually a, thing, a trip that we take um, some of those students on 
in uh, like May or June and it's up in Washington. Um, and we spend like a pretty intense week uh, in training, learning about what it means to be a leader, what it means to do ministry um, and what it means to really befriend people on campus. So it's specifically about campus ministry. Um, this year, we're going to be doing some form of that. Um, we think we'll just be like putting it on within focus and not going to another ministry to help us with that, just to cut down on travel and contact and try to keep it safer. Um, yeah, so again, not really sure where we're going or what we're doing there, but we're going to figure it out. Someone is working on that. Um, yeah. And just like to flag this, the, the students who were supposed to go last year, are automatically invited this year. So spring showcase stuff from last year will go to that. And then spring showcase proceeds from this year will go to the next round. So it'll be like a two, two years worth of Sikkim people going um, this year. And then Brenda just brought up uh, spring Hita. Yeah, I think we've got some time before spring Hita that we can talk further about that, but we need to at least get that date on our calendar. And it is, I believe, April 24th. Let me look at my calendar real quick. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right, Leslie. April 24th, it'll actually start a couple of days before with the silent auction. Um, and it's our fundraiser for team camp. Um, but more details will be coming about that as we get closer, but mark off the 24th on your calendar. Um, yeah. Okay, so once again, welcome to Denton North. Whether this is your first time joining us or your 101st time, we're glad that you're here. Um, it's important to us. Your presence here is important to us. And we're going to start with praise and worship this morning. And so I'll turn it over to whoever is in charge of that. Good morning. <clears throat> so for uh, worship or our worship activity today, um, we're within the theme this month of looking at the incarnation and death of Jesus. So today within that theme, uh, we're going to reflect on how Jesus lowered himself. So that's the, the uh, theme we're reflecting on today. So I'm going to read um, some scripture and then we will do our normal breakout groups and everything uh, in response to that scripture. And then I'm also going to share um, on the screen one of the banners that we usually have up when we're in person at uh, DNC Church. So this banner is uh, using the scriptures that we're reading. And so it's just a visual aid while I read the passages of scripture. Um, you don't have to do anything specific in response to the banner. It's just kind of a visual aid, give you something to see um, and reflect on along with the passages of scripture. So I'm gonna share my screen. Okay. And I also posted in the chat, the scriptures and questions that we're gonna use. And I'm gonna go ahead and read um, the scripture, which is John 13, 12 through 17, and then 34 and 35. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then I'm going to go down to 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I'm going to leave the banner up on the screen. And I'm just going to give all of us like two minutes or so to reflect on those questions. Uh, that are in the chat, which is the same questions we usually go over, and then we'll break into groups. Um, so I'll uh, say here in a couple minutes when we're going to break into groups, but again, just a couple minutes to reflect on your own on those questions, and then we'll go into groups. Okay, we're going to go ahead and break into 
breakout groups. So whoever's doing that for us, you can go ahead and do that. We'll be there for about eight minutes or so. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in on our sermon this morning. So just a little bit of a recap. Um, we're talking about the consistency of scripture between the Old and New Testament. And we've talked about what that looks like with the God of the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. And now we've moved on to our next section, which is on the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit look like in the Old Testament versus in the New Testament? And Brad uh, kicked that off for us last week. And so just a review of the two points that Brad had last week are that the Holy Spirit works in power and holiness. And so he works in power to give us gifts and to give us skills that make us more like Christ so that we can contribute to the community, to the body. And it's to do something we couldn't otherwise do on our own by ourselves. So working in power for us to do something we couldn't otherwise do by ourselves. And then the second one is he works in holiness to make us more like Christ and to change us to be more like Christ from the inside out. So he works in holiness to make us to be someone who we couldn't otherwise be. So that's a review of what Brad, a very quick summary of what he talked about last week. What I wanna do today is to give you a pretty quick overview of how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and then to land on the fruit of the Spirit and spend most of our time talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I did a lot of study this past week, and I would love to be able to tell you all the things that I was refreshed on or that I learned because they were so powerful. But one of the big ones is the Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, and it means wind, breath, and spirit. And the way that that plays out throughout the Old Testament, the way those different definitions play off of each other, when you start doing a word study on that, it's very obvious that it's inspired. Like that could not have happened on its own. It was intentional and it's meant to teach us things. But unfortunately, I don't have a time to do a word study with you on that this morning, but that's something you might want to pursue because it's very helpful. So what does the Spirit do in the Old Testament? Well, the Spirit does a lot in the Old Testament, but I've kind of narrowed it down to three things. So the first one is the Spirit creates. The Spirit uh, creates and gives life in the Old Testament, and we see that immediately in Genesis 1. Verses 2 and 3 say, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit, the Ruach that I just told you about, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the Spirit was part of creation. So the Spirit creates. The second thing the Spirit does is the Spirit appoints, empowers, commissions, anoints people for specific tasks in the Old Testament. And so Brad mentioned an example of that last week in Exodus 31 when they're building the tabernacle. Um, the Holy Spirit appoints Bezalel to do some of the work in the tabernacle. And so this is what Exodus 31, 1 through 5 says about that. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the, whole, the Spirit of God. Again, that word ruach the spirit of God with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze to cut bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. So we see the Holy Spirit anointing him to do that work and empowering him with the skills he needs to complete that task. 
And we see this happen in leaders and in prophets and in people that have a specific task. So another example would be King David. When Samuel anoints David, it says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. The spirit of the Lord came on David to lead the nation of Israel. So in the Old Testament, the appointing of the Holy Spirit was temporary to accomplish a specific task. Okay, so creating and appointing are two of the works. And then the third work that I see in the, whole, in the Old Testament is the work of new creation, of recreating the world and recreating humans to be people that have hearts that can obey and follow God. And so Ezekiel is a great place to see this. So Ezekiel 36, 26 is a prophecy about the new heart. And it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Okay, so a prophecy about a new heart that will empower us to live um, in a way that uh, follows God and that shows our love for him. And then in chapter 37 of Ezekiel, we get this really cool vision um, of this happening. And so it's this vision of Ezekiel in a valley with all these dry bones, and God tells him to prophesy the word of the Lord to the bones. And when he does, those bones come together and tendons uh, appear and skin covers it. And so it becomes a human, but it doesn't have any life. And so God tells him to prophesy breath, prophesy breath to the, this, the bones. And so he does, and that brings this to life. It's a new creation, a new human. And then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy that he's going to put his spirit in this new human. And that when he does, that they're going to live and know that he is God. So it's a vision of this new creation. And it's the hope that the prophets have for Israel is this new creation. So we get to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we see the spirit present at Jesus's birth. So again, this idea of creation, a human being being created, Jesus, but Jesus would be a new kind of human. He would be that new creation. Um, and then we see at Jesus' baptism, we see John identify Jesus as the leader of this new kingdom and this new humanity. And at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove. And just like the Spirit hovered over the waters in creation in Genesis, the Spirit hovers over Jesus as a dove in this new creation and this new appointing to go out and do his kingdom work um, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see in Luke 4 that Jesus leaves there full of the Holy Spirit to go out and accomplish his work, kingdom work in the world. And so again, we see that appointing and that empowering to go out and do the work. And then in John chapter 20, and I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but I want you to see how this is through scripture that scripture takes us from one to the other and how scripture ties all of it in together because I think it's really important and really cool. But in John 20, 20 and 21, Jesus says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And Jesus appoints his disciples to go out and do his kingdom work and then it says he breathes on them 
the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is appointed and empowered, and then he appoints and empowers his disciples, which also trickles down to us as his disciples. So the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is for a lifetime. It's not a temporary appointing. It's a lifetime. It's a lifestyle. And what we see is that the Holy Spirit then becomes a major character in the story of the Bible. And if you look at Paul's writings, he has 13 letters. And in those letters, he mentions the Holy Spirit 149 times. So that tells you what a major part of our story the Holy Spirit um, becomes. So the spirit reshapes us, creates Jesus in us to be able to go out and accomplish Jesus' mission throughout the world. And as followers of Jesus, we need to develop the skill of being aware of the spirit. And so that brings me to the fruit of the spirit. So I know that was all really fast. I know that that was a very short uh, version of what I spent hours looking at uh, and studying this week. Um, but I hope that that gives you a little bit of a foundation of how the spirit is consistent. He worked differently in the Old and New Testament in some ways, but in other ways, it was very consistent in creating and in pointing in a power, empowering and in new creation. This all works together. So I've structured our conversation about the fruit of the spirit into some questions. So the first question is, and this is a question I get quite a bit. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? And so I have uh, two responses to that. The first one is the book of Acts shows us that if we choose Jesus and we make him Lord and Savior of our life, we're given the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 says Peter's been preaching at uh, Pentecost. He's been preaching the gospel to the people there, and they're convicted by it, and their question is, what do we do? And so Peter's response to them in Acts 2.38 is, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we choose Jesus, make him our Lord and Savior, choose to live for him, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So my first response to how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit is you have to have faith. You have to have faith that what the Bible says is what's going to happen. So if you choose to walk with Jesus, you do receive the Holy Spirit. The second one is Paul says that the Holy Spirit should be evident in your life through some fruit, some fruit that you see in your life. And so that's Galatians 5.22. And that says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Okay, so if I have the Holy Spirit in my life, I should see those fruits in my life. Here's my problem with that. This week, I went to the bank to make the deposit for the church. I had gotten a donation check in the mail, and so I needed to go take it to the bank and deposit it. I'm going through the drive-through, and I'm at that little window that's right next to the um, bank, and so they slide that little drawer out to you for you to put your stuff in. Super windy that day, and so as I start to put my stuff in there, the teller says to me, be sure that you put that underneath the bar so it doesn't blow away. Well, that irritated me a little bit, because I'm like, I've been going to the bank for a long time. Yes, I know this, but I put it under there. They take it in, they do my deposit. They've got my driver's license and they paper clip it to the deposit receipt. 
and they slide it back out and the wind immediately takes it with my driver's license and blows it away. And I'm like, what happened to make sure you put it underneath the bar? I am really irritated at this point. And some of you may have just heard my husband laugh <laughs> because he knows, he knows. And so I, he, so I hear him say, oh, I'm really sorry, but I just drive away because I'm trying to get my driver's license before it is totally gone. But when I think about that example, I think, where's the fruit of the spirit in my life there? Why was I not patient? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Am I even a Christian if that fruit is not evident in my life? And if I just read Galatians 5.22, if I just read but the fruit of the spirit is these things, then I can get the idea that there's no effort on my part that I just somehow this little magic genie of a Holy Spirit is gonna transform me to be all of these things all of the time. And that's not an accurate concept. And so it's really important to read scripture in context and not just pull one out. But before we go back and do that, I want to um, share one other thing with you that I think is super important for us to notice in all of this. So this is my second question. First one, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? And I know because I'm going to believe in faith what the Bible tells me. And I know because there should be the evidence of fruit in my life. But then my second question is, but is it me that does the work or is it the spirit that does the work to create the fruit in my life? Like who's, whose job is this? So the job of the Holy Spirit is to create Jesus in us, to make us a new creation. And Paul calls this the character of Christ and he calls it the fruit of the spirit. He calls it the fruit of the spirit. That language is not an accident. He is using that language to tell us something. That language is the language of gardening. And that means something here. So during shutdown, um, Tate and Aaron extended an invitation to anybody in the body that wanted to come by and spend time in their garden for worship. Um, just a time to get away, to be in nature, to be with God, to enjoy the um, flowers in their garden. And so I did. And it was gorgeous. They had zinnias of all colors. They had these black-eyed Susans that were as tall as I was. They were huge. I've never seen anything like it. They had poppies. They had morning glories. And they had a whole lot of other flowers and they also had some herbs like rosemary and thyme and cilantro and mint and so it smelled really fresh and pretty of these herbs and of these flowers um, and it was just really neat and they were growing in these different little flower beds they were growing up a trellis they were growing all over the walls um, and it was great it was really really pretty but do you think that they got that kind of garden by throwing out some seeds, forgetting about it, and a few weeks later coming back and going, voila, this gorgeous garden, where did it come from? That is most likely not how it happened. <laughs> it took some hard work on their part. They had to learn how to garden. And this is kind of just a side lesson from this metaphor because it has so many lessons to it. But Aaron's mom gardened and Aaron gardened with his mom and learned how to garden as he grew up, he learned from her. And I think that's something else that this metaphor teaches is that we can learn about the fruits of the spirit. We can learn how to cultivate them in our garden from other uh, Christians. But anyway, Tate and Aaron, they tilled the soil. They had to build the trellises they had to fertilize the soil, they had to plant the seeds, they had to water them, um, they had to protect their garden from outside threats. 
And I texted uh, Tate this week and I asked her, what were some of those outside threats that you had to protect your garden against? And this is what she said. Weather was probably our biggest threat to the garden. When we had weeks of rain, some plants got flooded. When it was really windy, it would damage our delicate flowers. And when it was scorching hot, things would die very quickly and it was nearly impossible to keep things alive. There were periods of drought where we could barely keep the ground wet. And another problem we had was huge grasshoppers, three inch grasshoppers. They would eat everything and swarm the whole garden in the summer. Weeds were crazy. And then there were the cats, Brad and Chelsea's cats, Sherbert and Tony, who saw the garden as their playground and would roll around on the newly sprouted plants, smushing them. So it's a lot of work and there's a lot of threats to protect the garden against. But after Tate and Aaron did all of that work, could they say they grew the things in their garden? That they made them grow? <laughs> Chelsea, you know we love Sherbert and Tony. <laughs> um, no, they can't. They can't say that they made those things grow. They did a lot of work, but they didn't actually grow them. Many things were outside of their control. Like they couldn't control the sun and they couldn't control the rain and they couldn't control the act of photosynthesis that actually grows things and brings life to them. But they did provide an environment where the flowers could grow. And they could do things that would keep the flowers from growing. So they had a crucial role in the process, even though they didn't actually do the growing. Do you see where Paul's going with this? This is such a helpful metaphor to me. Just like Tate and Aaron can't grow flowers, we can't grow the character of Jesus in our lives. We can't grow the fruit but we do have a crucial role in allowing it to grow. We, can, we can't change our character, but we can prepare our lives for the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can do things that hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in creating fruit in our lives. So back to my question, is it the Holy Spirit or is it me? The answer is yes, <laughs> yes. It is you and it is the Holy Spirit. So let's go back and read Galatians 5, 16 through 25. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit indicates that I have a choice. I have a choice to walk by the spirit or I have a choice to walk by myself basically on by my own um, doing. The spirit doesn't just bonk us over the head and take over. That's not how it works. We still have a choice. So we have control over how much influence the spirit has on us. 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. So what he's saying here is the flesh. So first of all, a better translation of the word flesh is sinful nature, okay? I think it's a more helpful way to think about it. So the sinful nature is in conflict with the spirit. So we can't just do whatever it is we naturally want to do. Those things are in conflict with each other. And so if I'm feeding my sinful nature more, my sinful nature is probably going to win out. If I'm feeding the spirit more, the spirit's probably going to win out. So in the garden metaphor, am I feeding the grasshoppers and weeds? Or am I feeding the good things that are going to cause the flowers to grow? Okay, 18. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Okay, so the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, not just for non-Christians, but for humans. 
So it's what humans do if we're left to our own devices. And so these are the things he lists, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. So those things all have to do with broken sexuality. Idolatry and witchcraft, that has to do with who is God in my life? Who is in control of my life? Who determines what I worship? Is it me or is it God? And then it lists eight things that are relational things, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. This, those are things that cause relational breakdown. So the sinful nature is a threat to the fruit of the spirit, just like grasshoppers are a threat to flowers. And one of the ways that we can tell which we're feeding more is by looking at our relationship with God and by our relationship with other people. It tells us a lot about what kind of garden we're preparing for the spirit to work in. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like are also listed in that list. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's a pretty scary verse. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what that's saying is if I become defined by my choices I make for the sinful nature, then I've cut myself off from the influence of Jesus. I've basically said, I don't want the influence of Jesus, the influence of the spirit in my life anymore. I'm not interested in that. If you do that, then you've chosen not to inherit the kingdom. You wouldn't want to inherit the kingdom if you don't want Jesus influencing your life. And if that scares you, let me assure you, it's not you. <laughs> because if you're to that point, you're not going to be worried about whether or not that's you. So if you're concerned, you're not that. 22, but the fruit of the spirit. So here's what the spirit wants to do in our lives if we partner with the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, doing what's best for other people. It's joy and peace. Joy and peace from what Jesus did, not from what's going on in our lives right now but joy and peace from what Jesus has done. Ephesians 1 says that we're stamped or we're marked by the Holy Spirit, that it's the deposit uh, that we get on what's going to happen. It's what Jesus has done, our deposit on inheriting what Jesus has done. That's what brings joy and peace. That's what he's talking about here. Patience, kindness, goodness. Again, relational things on the positive side, things of uh, being proactive and not reactive. You're not reactive if you're patient. At least I'm not reactive if I'm patient. I've already demonstrated that to you today. Uh, we're, re we're proactive if we're kind. We're proactive if we're good. Uh, faithfulness, a source of stability and constancy in other people's lives. People can depend on us. We do what we say we're going to do. Faithfulness, gentleness, not harsh or severe, powerful, but not harsh or severe, loving. It's that power under control we've talked about before. And then self-control. Okay, that's a weird one to have in this list. This is the fruit of the spirit, but self-control, what does that even mean? Is it the spirit controlling or is it me controlling? Um, a human that is in control of their impulses and desires and choices is the spirit. That is the spirit working in us. And so we should have, we should exhibit self-control. The spirit is doing that in us. Okay, 24 and 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit.
Okay, so this question, the way I've worded this one is, if I've crucified or killed my sinful nature, why does it still give me so much trouble? If I've crucified or killed it, like it says here, why does it still give me so much trouble? And the answer to that is the same answer to why, if Jesus has overcome death and sin, why do we still have such evil in the world? Why do we still experience death in the world? It's because we live in the already, but not yet. We have to believe in faith that our old self has died, that it's been crucified with Jesus on the cross. We have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's the one human being that has brought about new creation in the power of the spirit. And until he returns to fully reconcile heaven and earth, we in faith embrace this truth in our lives. Sinful old humanity was killed on the cross with Christ. It's like the weeds and the grasshoppers. We kill those if we want a garden that grows. So our sinful nature is dead. The true reality of us as humans is our sinful nature died with Jesus. And what's true of him is now true of us. We live and exist by the spirit, like he lived and existed by the spirit. We're stamped, we're marked, and we live by the spirit. So we need to be a gardener, prepare our gardens for fruit, and keep in step with the spirit. So the next question is, how do I do that? How do I garden my life for the fruit of the spirit to grow? And I think that we do that by the word, by our behaviors and choices, and by community. The word, behaviors and choices, and community. So if you flip back to a couple of chapters before this, to Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So who died on the cross? Jesus died on the cross. Who died with him? All of us died with him. And we now live with a new person, the spirit in our lives who is speaking truth, who is speaking the gospel to us. And we prepare our gardens for the spirit to go, grow fruit with the word. When we memorize the word, when we hide it in our heart, the word will come back to us in moments of choice and help us to choose the spirit over flesh. That's how we garden our lives. I'm going to give an example of this after I talk about the next two. So hopefully if you're a little confused, the example will help clarify that for you. Okay, so the word. Second, we don't feed the weeds, we kill them. All right, so if one of the weeds in my garden is anger, then, or if it's meanness, then I need to get counseling to help me learn how to deal with that and to learn how to harness that so that it doesn't hurt people. I need to get off social media. I need to not look at things that encourage me to be angry or that encourage me to be mean-spirited. I need to get rid of those. And the reasons we give for not doing that, you guys, are ridiculous. Like I can't get off social media because how will I stay in contact with my friends, and how will I know what's going on in people's lives? Well, how did you know before we had social media? Some of you may not even know. Some of you have probably never not had social media now that I say that out loud. Um, but my point is that we have to kill whatever it is that's causing us to choose the sinful nature over the spirit. So don't feed the weeds, kill them. And then we've got to make choices that build a good environment for the fruit to grow. So we have to choose the things 
that are going to help the fruit of the spirit grow. And then we do that in community. We do that through confession and encouragement, through correcting and rebuking. I can't do it alone on my own. I need to be in community with other people that are going through the same transformation and we do it together. Okay, so here's an example that I hope will help a little bit. Um, so I want to look like Jesus to my neighbors. Um, I want to be these fruit of the spirit in their lives. I want to be that kind of person. And during the snow apocalypse, <laughs> I um, texted one of my neighbors to see how they were doing. And her response back was not good. She had just had surgery the Friday before. They had had pipes burst. And um, so they had no water and they had the rolling power outages. And so my natural self says, Okay, sorry that's happening. <laughs> Hope it works out. Um, but because I have the word in my heart, the word starts speaking to me saying, that's not who you are. Who you are is Jesus. Who you are is this person that is characterized by the fruits of the spirit. That's who you really are. You've put to death this other person that is selfish and that doesn't want to do hard things. Um, that's not you. And so then as the spirit speaks to me, then I have this choice. Am I going to do something to help my neighbor? Or am I just going to do what's easiest for me? And with the spirit speaking to me, with the word speaking to me, my choice is clear. I'm going to do something that's going to help make the situation better. And community comes alongside me in helping me to do that and encouraging me to do that. I've been confessing this sin for a while to some people that are close to me and they've been correcting and rebuking me when they need to. And all of that works together to give the spirit and environment to work and grow fruit in my life. As the word works, as I kill the weeds, as I make the choice to follow the spirit instead of the sinful nature, then the fruit, the spirit grows that fruit in my life. So I preach the gospel to myself. That's what Galatians 2.20 is. It's the gospel in summary form. I preach the gospel to myself. I kill the weeds. I choose the spirit and I do it in community and I watch the spirit grow the fruit. I don't do it. I garden so the spirit can do it. Okay, so summary. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? Through faith and through the fruit of the spirit that I see in my life. Is it me that works or the spirit that works to grow the fruit? Yes, the garden metaphor. Why does the sinful nature give me so much trouble if I've killed it? because we live in the already, but not yet. And how do I garden my life for the spirit to grow fruit in my life? By preaching the gospel to myself, killing the weeds, making the choices that reflect Jesus, not the sinful nature. And I do all of that in community. So I'm not gonna lie. The question and answer time is so intimidating to me. And I have asked myself over and over again why that is true. And I ran across something this week that helped me so much. And so I think that one of the things I don't like about question and answer is that it infers that I have the answers and I don't always have the answers. And so I ran across this thing this week, they called it question and response instead of question and answer. And I was like, that is so helpful. Like, I don't have to give you an answer. I give you a response. I'll respond to your question. So that's what I'm gonna do right now. I'm gonna give you an opportunity if you have questions to ask them and I will respond. I may not give an answer, but I will respond to your question. I can do that. So any questions this morning? Oh, come on. 
I I was wondering if you could elaborate on the we live in the already but not yet. That is um, a hard one to elaborate on. So because it's very complex, but basically it's just the idea that Jesus has started the work of new creation, but until he comes back, it won't be complete. And so we live in this, we're already seeing some of the results of that in our lives and in the lives around us, but we won't see that fully completed until Jesus comes back and completes that work. That's the short answer to that, Kyle. You know the answer to that one, I see. Yeah. Do what? How is the video? Okay, well, if you think of any questions, because I'm not sure if you're so confused you can't think of a question or if it was so clear that you just don't have any questions, <laughs> which I doubt. Um, if you think of any questions, uh, you can. if you don't already have my phone number, you can get it from somebody and I will be happy to respond and talk with you about that. So do I? Okay, so let's pray together and we'll finish up for today. And God, I just want to thank you so much uh, for your word. And I thank you for the resources that we have access to, to study through um, things in your word, like the fruit of the spirit. Um, I thank you, God, that your spirit works in our life to cultivate the character of Christ in us. Um, I want to look like Jesus. And I know that my brothers and sisters do too. And I just thank you, thank you, thank you that the spirit works in that way. Um, I pray God that we will cultivate our garden so that we can see that fruit in our lives. I pray God that we'll hide your word in our heart, that we'll let it speak the gospel to us. I pray um, that we'll kill the weeds in our lives, that we'll be really serious about that and that we'll do whatever it takes um, I pray that um, we'll make choices for the spirit and not our sinful nature. And I pray that we'll do that with our community, that we won't try to get off by ourselves and do that on our own, but that we would take advantage of the community you've given us. God, there's a lot about this that's just not clear. And I pray that you'll reveal it to us as we need to know. I pray that as we study, you'll open our eyes to hear your truth and see your truth. And I just pray, God, that we'll look more and more like Jesus every day. And um, we love you so much. And we thank you uh, for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.